0: Amen. Thank you guys. Good morning. Good morning morning and welcome to MCC. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Don Raymond. I'm the assistant pastor here. If you're a guest with us, just want to extend a warm welcome to you and let you know that... um, We are so happy that you're here and that this church, as I've said before, is the kind of church where it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts to wrestle through. We think that we can bring to God our questions. We don't think he's scared of our questions. In fact, we don't think we can even hide our questions and doubts from him, but we think he wants us to approach him with those doubts and confusions that we have and look to him for answers. So I just want to let you know that this is a safe place if you're a skeptic. You, can, you, don't, have to, you don't have to hide. And uh, there's plenty of people in the pews next to you and the staff here. We're all willing uh, to walk with you as you journey um, with the questions that you have. And so you know that there's always staff members hanging out in the back or b- back here. If you want to introduce yourself, would love to meet you. But no pressure. So... So today we're going to be continuing our series called The Path, Seven Steps of Salvation, kind of asking the question, how did it all start? How did it happen? How does somebody go from being a sinner separated from God to being somebody saved and in the family of God looking forward to life with God in eternity? How did it happen? And to catch you up, we've been looking at a couple of different doctrines. Uh, We've been looking at the doctrine of election, which I think is on the screen here. Yeah. So we've been looking at the doctrine of election, which is this big, beautiful doctrine that before there was time, God decided to save you. Not because there's anything special within that, that makes God, you know, I think I'm going to save this person because they have really good personality. And I think I could really use their personality for something. That's not what God does. God doesn't save you because he finds something in you admirable. He says because he is a loving God. We also looked at the doctrine of regeneration last week. That is, that if we're sinners saved um, only by the grace of God, how do we get from being a sinner to being in the family of God? Like, how do we go from being enemies, hostile towards God, to stepping into the family? What's well, going to have, God's going to have to reach into our hearts. He's going to have to change us from a heart of stone to give us a heart of Of flesh so that we can hear the call of God when he calls us to him. Well, today um, we are going to look at the doctrine of conversion. Doctrine of conversion. Now, before we get into that, you might be wondering, why do we have to to do sermon series like this? This is very heavy, heady. Some of you love this, um, but others of you are like, when are we going to get to the life application series, right? Tell me how to pray, something like that. Well, we do this because we want to be well-rounded Christians. We want to be Christians that, are, that think deeply about the Bible. And so the preaching team at MCC, um, led by Travis, we, we want to be uh, on a steady diet of um, working through whole books of the Bible and mixing in topical series that are really relevant to our lives in a different sort of way because I think all doctrine is relevant. And we also want to occasionally look at doctrine like we are right now, because doctrine determines decisions. How you believe affects how you behave. And not only that, doctrine determines destination, where you're going as well. It determines your decisions, and it will ultimately determine your destination. So that is why we want to spend so much time on it. And this morning, we're going to look at... um, Conversion with the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. um, Or if you're Travis, the wee little man. uh. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So, because I think this story, in all seriousness, gives us a beautiful picture of conversion. It shows us that Jesus calls to us so that we might run to him. He calls to us so that we might run to him with faith and repentance. So, um, let's open a Bible. If you're going to use the Black Pew Bibles, it's page 878. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 19. And we'll start in verse 1. And uh, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather together this morning, that we can open your word, that we can look at how it happened, how you saved us, how you called us by your grace, how you got this whole thing started, and how you draw us to yourself. Lord, would you use your word to encourage us, to convict us, help us to be people who live out your word and respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So I just want to clarify that um, the shortest pastor on staff teaching about a short man in the Bible is not some cruel pastor joke that Travin Carl played on me. I didn't draw the short straw either, it's channeling my inner Carl uh, with that. <laughs> but rather, I chose this text because I think it does paint a good uh, picture of conversion. Jesus offers the gift of salvation and life with him so we can run to him in repentance and faith. So here's how we're going to approach this, kind of the way we're going to break it down. We'll look at conversion from the air, we'll look at conversion on the ground, and we'll look at conversion in your day-to-day. So on the, from the air, on the ground, and in your day-to-day. So what is conversion? Well, if we're to pull to 30,000 feet And and look at this doctrine. What is it? Is it just a simple, like, switching of opinions about a subject, or is something more going on? However, and is it something that God does, or is this something that we kind of cooperate with Him on? Is this, to use the words we learned last week, is this monergistic, that means God working alone, or is it synergistic in that we're kind of cooperating with God? But, quick story. So, um, everyone, when you get married, everyone comes into marriage with, like, with baggage, right? You bring your baggage into marriage, and, um, and your spouse brings their baggage into marriage. It's the marriage of two imperfect people, right? Totally is. Well, one of the baggage that my wife brought into our marriage and <laughs> is a Volkswagen Passat. So, so when we got married, she had this Volkswagen Passat, and at first we really liked it. It was fast, it had a turbo. And um, you, could, you could go really fast, let's just leave it there. Um, it's like not sinning, if you just say that, right? I said I was speeding, it wouldn't be as good. But, uh, but anyways, we liked the car, it was good, but here's what you may or may not know about a Volkswagen Passat, that if you buy one, you will like it at first, but then you will eventually begin to pay the mortgage at your mechanics, right? Like every month, here's $500, you know? Kind of how it went. So when the time came a few years ago for us to get rid of the Volkswagen Passat, we were like, praise Jesus, let's buy a Honda, you know, because I hear we don't have to do anything to them. But in sometimes I hear people like kick around religion that way. So, oh, I'm kind of done with this, this really wasn't doing anything for me, so I'm gonna switch. Now, not everyone, obviously, most people convert to religions is a is a very weighty thing. But I don't think conversion, biblically speaking, is a simple, Let's like, hey, I'm, I'm done with that. Let's move to this. I don't think it's, I think it's a bit more weighty. What's really going on is a bit more weighty than that. See, um, in the Bible, conversion involves two things that I've kind of mentioned in passing so far. It involves faith and repentance, faith and repentance, so faith, and faith involves three things. Uh, for those of you who just took the inquirer's course, this is going to be a refresher. Um, it involves three things. It involves knowledge, it involves assent, and it involves trust. So faith means to have, place your faith in Jesus. Place means knowing the truth about who he is. Place means assenting to the fact that, hey, we're sinners and we need a savior and Jesus is the only way for salvation, Right? And it means trust. That I'm going to personally place my trust in Jesus in what he did to accomplish that salvation. But paired with faith, these are like two sides to the same door, um, is repentance. And repentance is, to put, put it really simply, is turning from our sin and turning to God. Turning from our sins and turning to God. It's a coming to the end of ourselves, as it were come to the end of ourselves, we realize that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we're going to turn to God. But the question remains is, is is faith and repentance something that we kind of conjure up? Oh, I'm feeling kind of, uh, I don't really believe as much today, so I'm going to conjure up some faith, right? Or can we like conjure up enough faith to believe in Jesus? And we got to look at this, and we got to also look at the past two doctrines, election and repentance, and realize that And if we look at Ephesians, um, for you're saved by grace through faith, and it is a what? Gift. So God, from the very beginning, begins to draw us to him, and we respond with faith that he enables us to have. So that is the doctrine on the ground, kind of high level, or in the air, kind of high level. Let's see how this flushes out in the life of Zacchaeus. So the story of Zacchaeus, really popular, Right? Uh, We sing songs to our kids about it. And familiarity can sometimes be one of those things that actually blinds us to seeing what's actually going on in the text. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, you know, whatever. And we can just forget um, what we're actually talking about. But here we have Jesus. Jesus is um, on his way to Jerusalem. He's just passing through, and he's in Jericho. And when he arrives in Jericho, um, before that, he has said, And done some pretty fascinating things. So the religious people—they're all freaking out because Jesus is eating with tax collect or tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with the lowest of the low, and and they're just—they're constantly upset. Why is Jesus spending all this time with the irreligious, with those of ill repute? So these are the people that society has looked down upon. Jesus also so spending a lot of time with people you would probably not be comfortable spending a lot of time with. But on the other hand, Jesus also says some pretty crazy things about being rich in the kingdom. Things like this. How difficult it is for for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which is pretty crazy, right? So Jesus is walking through Jericho, and Zacchaeus wants to know what he's all about. So he goes ahead of the crowd, kind of can see where Jesus is going, and he climbs a tree, a sycamore tree, because if you read commentaries and they get into vegetation, um, he wanted to hide, and you could hide in the leaves of a sycamore tree. So, but here's the thing about Zacchaeus, look at verse 2, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was rich. So, according to what Jesus said, and according to um, how society felt in the day, two spiritual strikes against him, right? Now, tax collector is a pretty loaded term. Here, in this period of time, tax collectors were people who basically turned on their own people for profit. So, um, if... Basically, people would be passing through, they would charge a tax, say Robin was coming through with this Martin guitar, which is really nice. And uh, so, you know, that guitar cost, I don't know, know—let's use a number of $500, and that's what it was actually valued. The tax collector could say, yeah, no, that's funny. Um, <laughs> tax collector could actually say, you know what? I think that's $1,500. And what he would do is he would take the percent off the top for himself. So he was basically robbing his own people. So in Roman times, they often lumped tax collectors with robbers when they were speaking about them or prostitutes or even um, brothel keepers. So these were not very high thought of people. And for you Republicans in the room, you're like, what's different? I don't know. Um, But trust me, it was way different. Um, So this guy, he's at the lowest of the low point in society, right? He turned on his own people, he's rich, And he's trying to see Jesus. So, what will Jesus do when he approaches a rich sinner? Does he give Jesus, or does he give Zacchaeus a chance? You can almost feel the tension in the text as you look there. Jesus gets to the place in the tree, Zacchaeus is in the tree, what is going to happen? And what does Jesus do? He calls out to Zacchaeus. Can you imagine if you were in the crowd that moment, right? One of the reasons, presumably, that Zacchaeus climbed a tree was because he not only was he short, but to be in the crowd would have been dangerous for Zacchaeus. Because, after all, he was robbing his own people. So, Jesus calls out to him. And you're the crowd, you're like, oh, I can't wait for, him, for Jesus to give it to Zacchaeus, right? How could you rob your own people? What's Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus invites himself over. Which is... Like, if you're following the text, going, why? So he invites himself over because here's the deal with Jesus salvation isn't a reward for the righteous, it's a gift to the guilty. See, Jesus offers Zacchaeus salvation so that he might turn to him with faith and repentance. He doesn't scold him, he doesn't berate him. Jesus just calls out to him, and long before. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, the tree was planted to meet that need. Long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus over the crowd, that tree was planted knowing that he would climb that tree someday and look to Jesus. But the crowd would have none of it. Look at verse, look at the the verse there in uh, verse 7. It says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner complaining about who Jesus was to save. See, to the crowd, Zacchaeus was outside the story of God. Zacchaeus' life, too far gone. Not redeemable. Not worth it. However, the man you healed a while ago, they're worth it. The crowd, they think they're worth it. But Zacchaeus, not worth it. Not part of the story of God. Too far gone. And this is where I want to ask, who in your life have you written out of the story of God? What categories have you put up for these are the people that God can probably save? However, these people over here, eh, it's just probably not likely. Is it the drug dealer? Is it the, is it the atheist? Is it Who is it? Who is it? Have you kind of written out of the story of God? Is it some family member who you were just like, every time I talk to them about Jesus, I just get shut down. Who have you written out of the story of God? See, for the crowd in this story, Zacchaeus was that person. But we encounter something different. So instead of running from Jesus, which let's face it, if you're Zacchaeus and the most righteous person in the world, whoever walked the face of the earth says, and you've basically been robbing people, like your whole lifestyle is um, furnished by um, immoral activity, and Jesus says, hey, I want to come over. I think you'd be like, do you want to meet at a cafe, Jesus? Right? (laughs) I don't want you to see all my stuff that I got from taking from other people. But he doesn't. Zacchaeus responds with joy. Look at verse 18. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And what does Jesus say? That today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus responded with repentance and I think faith, right? He encountered Jesus. And when Jesus calls to somebody, it calls forth change, right? When Jesus calls somebody to him, you cannot stay the same. You can't encounter Jesus and your life not start to change. And for Zacchaeus, it happened to start with his stuff because that's where his treasure was. So, where's our treasure? Where does it start with us? I don't know. It probably doesn't start with selling all of everything we have and giving it away to the poor or, or whatever. But for Zacchaeus, this man, repentance looked like giving up his sin and turning to the living God. And the person furthest from God in the story becomes the closest to God in the story. Because Jesus calls to us so that we would run to him. He called to Zacchaeus so that, so that Zacchaeus could respond so we see all of these doctrines kind of coming together right we see election that before there was time like, Jesus was on the path I have a feeling he knew Zacchaeus was going to be there and before that God planted that tree or had someone else do it I don't know and um, probably weren't arborists in the New Testament but he planted that tree and then we see that how could somebody so seemingly far from God come to God? Well, God must have changed his heart. God had to have gotten there. And then we see Zacchaeus respond to that call of God. Conversion on, in the air. Conversion on the ground. And what was impossible for man is possible with God. He can save anybody. So what does conversion look like in your day-to-day? We said in the past couple weeks that every doctrine has an off-ramp into real life, that, that doctrine isn't just some like the dusty shelf in your bookshelf. Oh, see, that's, this is the, all of the irrelevant things that don't actually change me, but they're nice to think about. That's not how doctrine works. Doctrine actually touches down in real life. So here are some questions to help us respond and, to and apply this doctrine. question One, have you placed your faith in Christ and repented of your sin? Have you believed that Jesus is who he says he is? That he's the eternal son of God who came, stepped onto this planet to bear our sin so that we might find life with God And he extends that invitation to us so that we might respond like Zacchaeus with repentance and faith. Belief in what he's done is not just some general thing, but actually for you. Do you believe that? Have you placed your trust in that? Have you come to Jesus? So I would plead with you if you're here and you do not know God, to place your faith in Christ, to trust that, hey, you are imperfect. You are a sinner in need of grace. We're really no different from Zacchaeus. We are the people far from God in that story. And so we have the same opportunity right now to respond to Jesus. I'm also well aware that in this room, there'll be some who say that they believe in Jesus, but whose lives have really never changed. Everything has stayed the same. And now listen, I want to give grace because I don't think like all of a sudden we're like completely different and the thing, all the old things we used to do, we now don't do anymore. It's called sanctification. That's a later sermon. Um, we grow as Christians, but if we've encountered Jesus, our lives should begin to change. The scriptures don't know a category Where Jesus is Savior, but not Lord. Jesus must be Savior and Lord. So we're called to repent that we are headed in the wrong direction. Question three. Do you believe that anybody can be saved? Anybody? You should. Do you know why? You are. Right? If you're saved, God saved you. Our perspective should be if God saved me, he can save anybody because we all were far from God. We all were enemies and strangers of God. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? We have a God who saves. He isn't reluctant to save. He isn't like, eh, maybe. We have a God who who saves. He goes after the sinner. He brings them home. Do you believe that God can go after anybody? And maybe you're here and be like, ah, you don't know what I've done. Do you believe that God can go after you? The doctrine of conversion in the rest of the order of salvation that we'll look at means that God is in the business of saving people. He isn't in the business of Of improving the improvable, of reforming the reformable. He's in the business of raising dead men to life. Praise God. Lastly, if we have a God who saves, a God who plans salvation, a God who changes hearts, a God who calls out to people so that people can respond in faith, I wanna ask for the Christians in the room are you taking the gospel to those who don't know Jesus? If all of this is true, if God is a God who saved, we should be taking the message of the gospel where we go, believing that God can save. Paul says in Romans, How will they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? For it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Are we taking the gospel? And question five are you living a life of repentance? Repentance is definitely a, a moment where we give ourselves over to God. We admit we turn the wrong way. But Martin Luther said that the Christian life is one of ongoing repentance. It's first thesis. We don't stop repenting when we become Christians. We kind of begin repenting, right? Because as God shows us more and more of who we are, our sin, we can keep coming to God saying, God, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Lord, would you keep changing my heart, drawing me closer to him? Jesus comes to us so that we might run to him. There's an old hymn. It goes like this. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come, ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger. Not a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requireth is to feel your need of Him. Come to Jesus, friends. And one of the ways that we come to Jesus. Every week, as believers, or every month as believers, is through this table, where we come and we remember what Jesus has done for us. We repent of our sins and we cling to Christ. Let's grow. Joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.